0: Take your Bibles to John chapter 10. We're going to go there. Uh, if you're a guest with us, thank you for being here, especially on Labor Day weekend. Uh, many of our normal folks away and traveling, uh, be in prayer for them as we get kind of summer. You know, this is the last day of August and summer comes to a. We don't want to say it. So we'll just, you know, recognize that we're turning a corner soon here. Uh, next week, small groups. This Wednesday night, baptism. You want to be here? Be a part of that. All right, John chapter 10 is where we are. And, and what a powerful truth this is today. I hope. Um, that I don't belabor the point because it's so simple and so profound yet so true and so life-changing. And it kind of comes from this. It kind of comes from this this spot where all of us should know this or, or at least accept this the- theoretically. Secure love. Love that is not up for grabs. Love that is reliable. Love that is faithful. We all need that, don't we? We don't function well without that in our lives. If we don't know that the relationships we have, we can count on them, that they are for us, it is difficult for us to stay close to that person. It is difficult for us to function in life. Um, Some of you know uh, our baptism class last week over our house. We have a little dog, um, and we've had her for about a year, and she was about six when we got her. And um, when we first got her, uh, we were, we're a very nice family. Well, most of us are. We're a very nice family. We were like, we're going to be kind and take care of this little dog and feed and and give her water. And like all the nice things that nice people do. But she didn't know that. And she was basically a spaz. She would kind of like, she run around in circles and come up to you and run away from you. And anytime anybody like breathed, she would jump and, so why? Why? Because the love wasn't reliable? No, because she didn't know it yet, right? She didn't feel it yet. She didn't understand it. She hadn't embraced that truth. Now, a year later, she's still a spaz, but she knows that we're not going to hurt her. She knows that we're going to take care of her. She knows that when we go to the door, we're going to let her out, and we're going to watch over her. And we, She knows that when her food gets empty, we're going to give her more food. She has overthrew experience, And somewhat just by allowing herself to be convinced that the family that's around her is going to take care of her. And I would say to you that that simple dynamic is the very basis and the very core of every person's need for Jesus Christ. A secure, reliable love. I will tell you from my experience in counseling and my experience in life, kids are programmed to need secure love. If they, whether they are right or wrong, if they feel like their parents do not have time for them, do not have attention for them, or even worse, their parents are abusive towards them, that is a scar on their soul That is that feels like you can't overcome it. That is a huge wound inside of them because secure love is a need that is hardwired into us. Now, I'm not talking about making your kids feel happy. That's, when I say secure love, I'm not talking about making your kids feel happy. In our world today, being loved is essentially equated to that toddler's way of thinking, which says, well, if you loved me, you would, right? It's like the emotional terrorism that three-year-olds do on you, right? Like, well, I want a cookie. Well, you can't have a cookie. Well, you don't love me, and I don't love you. You know what the proper response to your children is? Stop lying. Like, don't believe that. Don't buy into that garbage. Like, this, we're not on the three-year-old level here, okay? But if a child feels like they, you're not there for them, you don't have attention for them, appreciation for them, you don't like them, if they feel like they are just there to be manipulated or pressured, or they feel rejected somewhere, somehow, they are going to be on a lifelong journey to find someone to accept them loud enough to overcome that gaping hole in their soul. Marriage is the same way. We are designed to connect with a secure, reliable, faithful love, to know that love, to live in that love, to accept that love. That's why when you get married, you make suggestions to one another, right? You write down a, you know, a to-do list when you get married. No, you make vows to each other. How many times have you made a vow in your life? I mean, a real vow. I mean, that's a big deal, right? You're making a solemn promise, a covenant before God. Marriage is designed to be built around love that is reliable and secure. You can count on it. And in the vows that you say, it's kind of like this. I don't care. If the sky falls, if the sun, sun stops shining, if the earth opens up and swallows, every, I don't care what happens. As long as you and I are here, it's me and you. That's kind of what the marriage vows are. We say it really nice, better and worse and richer and poor, and sickness. But that's what we're saying. No matter what happens, as long as it's up to me, I promise you before God, it's you and me. I'm with you. I'm for you. You can rely on On me, And so we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about that today uh, in John chapter 10. And we're going to start at verse 22. We're going to get down just to 29, so we're not going to take a large chunk today. But what Jesus is doing is he's answering a challenge from some religious leaders. And in answering their challenge, he speaks some of the most powerful words that have ever been spoken. It is the answer to the heart of someone who has failed in love and someone who has been failed in love. Maybe you are a mess because you haven't lived out what was in your soul, the person you wanted to be, and you reject yourself. Or maybe someone who should have embraced you, pushed you away instead. Maybe lots of people. It is the deeper answer to why that longing is inside of us in the first place. So if you're carrying a wound that comes from this spot, what was supposed to be secure love turned out not to be, what was supposed to be a place of healing became a place of deep wounding, what I would do is invite you today to accept and believe what Jesus says in these verses that we're going to read. Powerful, life-changing truth. If you are living like a reject, this is for you. And if you are living like you don't belong to anybody, this is for you. What Jesus has to say to you today is healing for your soul. So start with me at verse 22, down to verse 26. Here's what it says. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colony. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. All right, so let's set the scene here. Um, It starts off by talking about the Feast of Dedication. Now, the Feast of Dedication is a very unique feast in Jewish culture. It is, you all know the Feast of Dedication. You all hear about it every single year. It is known today as Hanukkah. Okay, it is, that is the Feast of Dedication. What happened, a little bit of the background of the Feast of Dedication, and it's interesting that this is connected to this particular interchange, and I hope, I hope it makes sense why as we go through this. This was an unusual feast that they celebrated because it was not an Old Testament feast. Most of the feasts that Israel celebrated, you can go back to Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and you can read where God said, this is a feast that you're going to celebrate every year. The Feast of Tabernacles and Passover and Pentecost and feasts that that he said, you're going to remember what I've done for you. The Feast of Dedication was from about 167, 164 B.C. And it was around an event with a, a Syrian king nam, named Antichicus Epiphanes who tried to force the people of Israel to worship the god Zeus. He tried to force them into being Greek, basically. And what he did is he came, they, they had tried to revolt uh, because they thought he was dead. And so he came with his armies and he crushed Israel. I think the book of Maccabees says like 80,000 people died in the space of like a week under his... He was like not messing around. They were going to rebel against him. He said, no way. And so he decided that what the answer to this rebellion and this problem was, is to take away their ability to worship their God. So what he did is he went into their temple and he dedicated their temple to the god Zeus. He did it by sacrificing a pig on their altar, which was like unbelievably uh, desecration to their temple. And he said, you can't observe the Sabbath, and you can't pray to God, and you can't circumcise your children. All kinds of atrocities by this king, trying to wipe out the God of Israel. And what happened is, a group of faithful Jews rebelled against this under the man named Maccabees, a general. They retook Jerusalem and they rededicated the temple to God. And this feast of dedication celebrates that victory and the fact that God had delivered them from this awful enemy. And now they, over eight days, they celebrated, they held a feast. They burned lights in the temple for seven, for eight days. And that feast of lights, the feast of dedication known as Hanukkah is still celebrated today in the winter, just like it says. And so at this time, as Jesus is standing there, and they're in the middle of this feast of dedication, it's been about 200 years since that happened, and they're celebrating this moment of victory and deliverance. The Jews are celebrating an event where God's work was done through a man, through a group of men. They saw God's hand in Maccabees and the men who rebelled. They saw evidence because of what came out of it. The temple was rededicated. They were freed from their enemies. Does that make sense? So basically, they have this feast of dedication. They're not applauding Maccabees and the rebels. They're applauding God. That's the concept behind that feast. Okay. So now notice what they ask. In this feast at this moment, they say, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, that could be a good question or a bad question, right? Why are they asking this? Well, they could be asking it to say, well, if you'll just tell us, then we'll believe. Is that why they're asking this? No, that's not why they're asking this. Uh, Not at all. And we've seen that over the course of the first nine chapters of the book of John. So they say, tell us. You're killing us. You're keeping us in suspense. Literally, um, how long will you kill us? Is is kind of the the way that that gets interpreted. How long will you take our life away is the literal translation of how long will you keep us in suspense? You're you're hanging us by a thread. Tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one? Now, their debate is, and they've said in, in chapters earlier, if anybody accepts Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the promised one, they will be put out of the temple. So there is no uncertainty in Israel what's up for grabs with Jesus here. Is he the Messiah? Is he the Son of God? Is he the Savior or not? That's that's what it is. And so they come to Jesus here and even their question tells you that it hasn't been unclear who Jesus claimed to be and who he acted like. He acted like the Christ. And so they come and they say, tell us plainly. What they're saying is, tell us openly, tell us publicly, come right out and say it once and for all. Why are they doing that? Well, they believe that if Jesus will just say it, if he'll just speak it, then they can debate him. They can prove him wrong. Or as a backup plan, which turns out to be their plan, they can, if he'll say that he's the Christ, they can take him to the authorities, the Roman authorities, and say, Jesus says he's going to overthrow you. You've got to get rid of him. So one way or the other, they're going to try to knock Jesus out by getting him to answer this question, by kind of really, you know, provoking him, by, you know, like, nah, nah, you can't say that you're the Christ. Like, that kind of a thing. Like, come on, say it. If you're you're so big, if you're so strong, just say you're the Christ. What's holding you back? Jesus doesn't fall into the pride and fall into the game that they want to play. Their problem is not a lack of information. Their problem is, Self induced, self inflicted. I would say this to you. If you're struggling with doubt in God, you're struggling with doubt in in Jesus Christ being someone who offers to save your soul, being real, being who the Bible claims to be, I understand It's, it's a difficult thing sometimes to wrestle through that. But you've got to come to a place where you let yourself be convinced by faith that it's true. You have to come to that place. I would ask you, what hope is there in the doubt? Any? Is, there a, is that really a, a hope-filled life to keep going down doubt? If you're a believer, you're not exempt from this because guess what? Sometimes you act like, well, will you just tell me that you're here for me? Will you just tell me that you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Savior? Will you just say it plainly? Will you just make it clear? Will you just show me again so that I can believe you? It's not a lack of information. Your life has been filled with information about who he is, hasn't it? But sometimes we choose to doubt and we need to just let ourselves be convinced. Just let yourself be convinced about who he is, about what he wants to do. It wasn't a lack of truth. It was a lack of faith they were not ignorant as a matter of fact someone who was ignorant in the last chapter a blind man who never had any education he never studied the scriptures had been healed by jesus and when they said you know give glory to god we know this man is a sinner we don't know where he comes from the man said to them well that's strange only god can give bring somebody who can open the eyes of a blind how could you not know that he's from god Like, that's strange. So it's not a lack of information. The information is plain, and that's what Jesus says. I told you, but you didn't believe. Not you didn't know, or not I didn't tell you, but I told you, and you didn't believe. I wonder what promises from God we live not believing. And I wonder what effects that has on our soul and on our life the promises from God. I told you, but you didn't believe. They already saw and heard what they needed to see, the miracles that Jesus did, just like what they're celebrating, that God had worked through a man to bring deliverance. Now Jesus has been performing miracles. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. The miracles you've seen me do in healing the blind, and he's about to in the next chapter raise the dead. They should tell you who I am, just like you're remembering in this feast that the outcome that's a godly outcome proves that God is behind it because every good gift comes down from the Father above. But you do not believe. Jesus says, you do not believe because you were not my sheep. They refuse to believe. And Jesus says, he goes back to this picture, because you are not my sheep. And that's kind of the for the next few verses here as we finish this out. That's where Jesus is. He's in this picture of his sheep. What Jesus says is, My sheep act differently than you. My sheep have a different approach to Jesus, to to me, to my work, to my words. Your approach is to find some reason to not believe, to find some flaw, to find some gap, to try to look for some way to discredit. Your approach is to push away. But what Jesus says is, I've made it obvious. And so what I'd say to you is this. The greatest threat to each person for Jesus' work in you The greatest threat for Jesus' work in you is ignoring what he's made obvious. He's put it in front of you, and you've said, no, I'm not going to do that. It's a truth. It's a promise. It's a leading. It's a direction. It's a a clarity about I can't do this or I need to do that, and you just went, no, I'm not going to do that. The greatest threat to what Jesus wants to do in you is ignoring what he has made obvious. They, the sheep don't do that. That's what he's saying. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. You're ignoring because you see, but you refuse to see because you already know what you want. You won't listen. You won't trust. You refuse to believe because believing would mean repentance. Re- believing would mean confession. Believing would mean you would have to change your heart what your life is about, what you're doing, what you're after. You would have to confess that I am the answer to your life and you refuse to do that because you want to be the answer to your own life. And so I ask you, are you acting like you aren't His, like you're not His sheep? Maybe you're acting like you're not His sheep in doubting Him and refusing to follow Him and refusing to see because you're not. Maybe you've never come to the place where you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and giving Him your soul in your life. We talked about this in, in our baptism class last week. And On Wednesday night, some folks are going to get up here and give a testimony about a moment in their life, about a time in their life where they said yes and how God brought that about. This could be your testimony today. He could receive you into His family as His child, as one of His sheep. But maybe you are his sheep. Maybe you've already received him, but you're acting like you're not because you refuse to listen. You refuse to see. What you see is rejection everywhere, even from God. I think God is mad at me. I think God doesn't like me. You doubt his faithfulness. You doubt his goodness. You try to wrestle control away from your shepherd. What a ridiculous picture. If a sheep came out of the pen and said, I'm going to lead today, I'm not following you. I'm going where I want to go. What a ridiculous picture. And yet that's what we do. When we act like we don't know what to do, when we know what to do, we act like we aren't a sheep. So are you stuck in sin? What should you do? Hmm. I don't know. Are you spiritually floundering? What should you do? You already know. You may not know the whole picture, but you know the next step, don't you? Right? I wonder, should you give to God? Should you serve Him? Should you be faithful to church? Should you teach your kids to love Him? Should you give Him your life? You already know. It's not a lack of information. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of a choice to decide to follow. Jesus is my sheep. Follow me. Look at the next verse. Just a simple one sentence. Jesus sums this whole thing up. Verse 27. It says this My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Here's what he says This is what identifies my sheep. This is what sheep do. And he's using this picture that they all know. A shepherd walks out, and what do the sheep do? They listen to his voice. First thing he says is that the sheep have ears to hear what the shepherd says. When the shepherd says, come on, it doesn't mean that they have to be looking at him, but they're paying attention to him. And when the shepherd moves, the sheep move along with them. Because they know where the shepherd is, there is care, there is safety. They are assumed to be responding to their shepherd. Not because they're afraid of their shepherd. Very, very important. Not because they are afraid of their shepherd. But because they know their shepherd is reliably for them. He is the one they are dependent on. He is the one who will care for them and lead them. I'm wondering, is this you with Jesus? My sheep, Hear my voice. They listen to my voice. They're paying attention to me because they believe, the sheep believe, that I want to hear my shepherd. I want to listen to his voice because I'm convinced that he's for me and that his way is the way to go. And so that's how sheep act with their shepherd. I wonder, what if your shepherd said, Come follow me, and the path that he took you on was a hard path? What if you didn't like the path? Are you more about the path or the shepherd? What's a bigger deal to you? Do you trust your experience or do you trust your leader? What what would it be like to follow him? To let go of something or someone you love because your shepherd led you down that path? Jesus says, my sheep, listen to my voice. And he says, I know them. What he's saying is, I know which ones are mine and which ones aren't. But he's also saying, I know my sheep. I know what my sheep need. I know their personalities. I am aware of their fears. I'm aware of their burdens. I want you to know today, if you're a child of God, Jesus knows you. He knows all about your life. He knows your name. He knows your burdens. He knows your stresses. He knows your fears. He knows your worries. He knows your failures and your faults. There is nothing hidden from him. Don't live like you can hide something from him because you can't. Your shepherd knows you completely. Just like a shepherd with the sheep. In the course of caring for the sheep, he knows the sheep. He knows what they tend to do. He's watching over them. He's checking them out. He's making sure if they're okay or not. Do you believe that Jesus is a shepherd for you like this? That Jesus knows you? Are you trying to hide from him somewhere? You can't. Does shame tell you that you are safer to be unknown and loved Than to be known. Shame does that, doesn't it? It says, listen, if people knew this about me, they would reject me. So it's safer to be unknown and hidden because then at least I'll be loved. And yet you doubt love because if they knew this thing, they wouldn't love me. We kill ourselves with this idea of hiding from our shepherd, hiding from the opportunity for the love that Jesus offers, the secure love of the shepherd for the sheep. And he says, they follow me. This is an identifying mark of sheep. If you watched a shepherd walk, you would know who his sheep are, how? The ones that are following him are his sheep, right? I mean, it's that simple. The, The world looks at us, and do they say, oh, those people are Christians. Those people are Christ followers. Look how they follow Jesus. Or are they like, well, I read this about Jesus, And then I look at these people who call themselves Christian and I don't get it. It doesn't look the same. It doesn't seem to match up. Is there anything else to do when the shepherd leads but follow him? If you trust him, if you believe that he knows you so well, the only thing to do is follow him. And so... Look at your day, look at your week, and and I ask you, what percentage of time would you say you are following Jesus? And I'm not saying that you've got to, like, you know, as you're doing your job or whatever, you've got to lay aside your job and, and go, you know, hand out tracts or something like that. What I'm saying is, God has led you to that job. Are you following Him in it? One of the great indicators of that is where's the pressure of that job? Is it on your shoulders? Are you being faithful to him, right? As you go about your day, in your parenting, in your marriage, in your finances, in your free time, in what you see, in what you read, are you following your shepherd or not? What percentage of time do you follow him? Because he's your shepherd. Are the decisions and the efforts that you make filled with the assurance that you're following your savior? Or are you just wandering around bumping into walls on your own? What's it look like? My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Now, verse 28 and 29, my sheep are secure. Some of the most powerful words ever written, listen to what he says. I give to them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus says this, his love for you is secure. It is forever. It is eternal. And here's the best part it doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on your strength. It doesn't depend on your performance. It's a gift. He starts off by saying this I give to them eternal life. Did you see that? Give them eternal life. Now, what did the sheep do to earn eternal life? Nothing. He says, Because they're my sheep. I give them eternal life. They have this promise. What's he talking about? He's talking about the promise that we read about today, that forever he has conquered death for us, that there is life beyond this life and that there is life bigger in this life. Just in case you missed it, what he said is, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. He kind of doubles it up just so you can kind of keep up here. What he's saying is, no matter what happens in this life, your forever is sure in the hands of Jesus. If you've placed your trust in him, if you listen to his voice, if you follow him, if you've crossed that line of faith, eternal life is a gift that he gives to his sheep. I give to them eternal life. And what it means is that you are eternally secure. You do not have to go back and get eternal life again. It is yours forever. How do I know that? Well, first of all, he uses the word eternal life. Now, let's say this. Let's say that you can do something bad enough to lose eternal life. So, we'll just do it this week. You, you received eternal life today. And Tuesday, you did this terrible, awful, horrible thing that was big enough to lose eternal life. How long did your eternal life last? Two days. Is that what he called it? Two-day life? No. He makes it a point over and over again, especially in the Gospel of John, calling it everlasting life. And then just to back it up, they will never perish. It doesn't say, they will perish if I get really mad at them. If they're awful sheep and they don't know what to do, then they will perish. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, when they're my sheep, they get eternal life and they never perish. You are secure in the hands of Jesus forever if you received Jesus Christ, if you believe. Now, the ones he's talking to haven't. So he's saying, you're different from my sheep. You're the ones who have refused to believe. You have refused to see, and so you don't get this. But my sheep get this. Which side of that line are you on? I give to them eternal life. They will never perish there is victory over the grave there is eternal joy and rest with god forever all the burdens of your life will fade away as the centuries roll by and you are with him in eternal joy forever my sheep hear my voice and i give them eternal life who wouldn't want to be his sheep how could you possibly not want to be a sheep here's why here's the people who don't want to be a sheep The people who don't believe he'll deliver and the people who don't want him to do it for them. They want to do it some other way. They want to be on their own. They want it to be to their credit that they achieved this or they think this is all just made up. Those are the only people who wouldn't want eternal life. That gift is eternal, not losable. It's secure. It is a love that never fails. It is a love that never changes. It is for you. His care as shepherd over you is forever. Jesus uses the picture in John 3 of being born again. When you are born, how long are you the child of your parents? Your whole life. What can you do to stop being their biological child? Nothing. That's the idea that Jesus is using there. When you are born to parents, you are theirs. You belong to them. That's how it is. You are their child. You are born again. You are his child forever. And so Jesus says, I love and I care for the sheep and I guarantee it forever. When we belong to him, it is forever. It isn't a hit and miss thing. And the reality from that is that we can know perfect love we can be secure enough to answer any insecurity we've ever faced because he knows me and he loves me. Because he knows everything about me and he chose me. He picked me and he said, I want you. Now, if you can just in your soul process that, All the things you worry about, about whether you matter and whether you're worth anything and whether you have value, can fade away because the God of the universe said, you matter to me, and it will never change. That secure love that we're looking for comes only in Jesus Christ. I can be as faithful as a human can be, but I'll never be as faithful as God is. The love that he offers can heal every wound in your soul by the power of Jesus Christ. And then he says this, in case you were thinking that it's iffy, in case you were thinking that this eternal gift could be stolen, he says, no one can snatch them. He doesn't say, hold on tight, because you might just lose your grip. You know, I say to you, how you doing today? And you say, I'm hanging in there. You know what? Good thing it's not your hand that's holding on, isn't it? his hand right we went out when the kids were little we went out in the ocean and we would jump you know jump over the waves and all that stuff i didn't go like now you better hold on to my hand because you might slip off what kind of dad would do that you know like oops <laughs> you let go what's wrong with you kid <laughs> what a crummy dad right who held their hand i did and i wasn't letting go and i had enough strength that They were secure. They didn't have to worry about it. Now, they could have been holding on with all they were worth and think, I'm holding on to Dad. I'm not going to let go because I don't want to go in the water. They could have thought that. But guess what? If it was up to their power, they were in the water. It wasn't up to their power. It was up to mine. And your Heavenly Father says this to you. You're not holding on to me. I'm holding on to you. And I'm not going to let go. But he says more than that. He says, no one can snatch them out of my hand, meaning this. There will come forces that will try to pull you away from the Savior. And he says, it won't work. Nobody and nothing can take you away from the God who is greater than all. Jesus says, I'm holding on to you and I'm not letting go. And then just to make it like doubly sure, he says, my father's working with me. And he's holding on to, and nobody's pulling you away from him because he's holding on to you. That's what he says. Now, what if that's true? What if the love that I have from God is not dependent on my faithfulness to Him, but it's dependent on His faithfulness to me? What if how I live is just a response to this faithful, unbelievable love that comes free from my Heavenly Father that I don't have to measure up in any way in order for Him to love me and care about me? What if that's true? What if we could live free like that? What if we could live sure like that? That's the promise that Jesus is making to us. It's where this picture of a shepherd and a sheep reaches its biggest point. It's the shepherd who guards and guides the sheep, not the sheep who have to make sure that the shepherd is guarding and guiding. Someone or something comes along to snatch those who do belong to Jesus, but he stops them. No one can pull you away from being accepted, from mattering, Not your parents, not your spouse, not your siblings, not your friend, not your job title, not your finances, not the home that you live in, not what people think of you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God because it's Him holding on to you. It's a gift that He gives. It's a work that He does. It's an expression of His faithfulness. And we need to live in that because He gave everything so that we would know a love that is secure. A love that heals the deepest hole in our heart. Paul tells us in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from God's love. Do we understand it? Do we believe it? And so do you live dependent on how other people think of you? What other people say about you or what you think they might be saying about you? Do we live insecure and always on shaky ground in every relationship because I don't know if this relationship is going to turn out okay or not? The picture of the child of God, the sheep that is loved and held forever, is a sheep that is secure. So that when I go into relationships, I don't need anything from you. I just want to give. Because I got everything I need. I'm not looking for someone to tell me I matter. If you're single, there's a temptation to believe that if someone would come along and say they love me, then I would matter. But guess what? When someone comes along, they don't do it well enough to really convince you. They don't have what it takes. Maybe you're married and you're like, well, you know what? If my spouse was just a better spouse, then I could feel like I mattered. If they just constantly reassured me, they can't reassure you enough. It's a work that only God can do in your soul if you'll let him. If you'll let yourself be convinced that he loves you like that. How secure are you living? Jesus says we are forever his. You living like that? Have you made that choice of faith and accepted Jesus as your Savior, as your Shepherd? If not, remember, He gives eternal life. He gives it forever. He holds on to you. He gives love you can always trust. He watches over you. What are you waiting for? Come and receive Jesus Christ. But if you have, have you been living in the reality that you are loved, that you are safe and secure? Not that safe in this life, not that... That flimsy stuff. But safe forever. Loved forever. Accepted and belonging forever. Have you been living that out? Or do you need to come back to that truth again? Hold on to that truth again. Maybe in your view of yourself, you need to act in faith that His love for you is secure and His love for you is forever. Maybe you just need to start living like you belong to Him today